Intel is the spark for the dreamers who do. They dream of a life with no diseases, of cleaner, greener, more reliable energy, of advancing education by bringing AI everywhere. Intel is the spark to start something new, to know that no dream is too daring when you have the right foundation. It starts with Intel. Learn more at intel.com starts. I'm Kara Swisher, and you're listening to Sway. You're also listening to my croaky voice. Sorry, but there isn't any rest for the wicked. That would be me. My guest today is Andrew Yang. He shared a stage with Joe Biden and Marianne Williamson in the fever dream that was the 2020 Democratic presidential primaries and left his mark by popularizing the idea of universal basic income. This year, Yang threw his math hat into a different ring. I am so thrilled to announce to you all that I am running for mayor of New York City. And for a while, it looked like it was his race to lose. So far, the candidate consistently leading is the one with the biggest national brand. Andrew Yang is about to be the next mayor in New York City. Oh, shit. Except he's not. After a brief hibernation, Yang's political ambitions have resurfaced. A few weeks ago, he announced he was abandoning the Democrats and forming a new third party. So I wanted to ask him about his political future, especially in light of his recent loss. Andrew, thanks for being here. Hey, Kara, thanks for having me. Uh, I sound a lot better than you do. I'm sorry I, that's that okay. uh, it seems like you. <laughs> I got it from one of my latest children. Uh, this is what happens when school goes back, unfortunately. Anyway, so you've taken some time off since your loss. You conceded in the first round with about around 40% of the votes that Eric Adams had, um, but you were really ahead early on and very confident about it. Um, I think you thought you'd win. I'd love you to take us through uh, what happened there. Oh, it was a privilege running for mayor. Uh, I got to meet so many people who were doing hard work on the ground. And I did think that we had a great chance to win. But uh, I believe that the overriding concern for a lot of New Yorkers uh, really was public safety and crime. And I think that favored um, Eric Adams, even though I was endorsed by some of his old colleagues So wish him success. Certainly wish New York City the best uh, leadership it can get moving forward. Yeah, but that's an excellent politician's answer. But what I would like is some emotion and self-reflection here from you. How did you feel sort of when you were ahead? Because you were for quite a while the leader. Um, What was the feeling like and what went wrong, I guess? When I was leading in the polls, first, I never really took it for granted, honestly. Uh, But the second thing is that my mind really was going towards how I would actually try and fix some of the problems that New Yorkers saw uh, around us, looked at real solutions and policies that we could enact that would make a difference. So that that was where my attention was. In terms of why uh, I think it didn't go our way, you know, I, I believe that there was some concern down the stretch around having someone who'd been part of government for a longer period of time. And that obviously uh, doesn't really resemble me so much. Not at all. Not even slightly, (laughs) but go ahead. So I think that and the concerns around public safety were two of the big ones. All right. But I think part of the problem is that you like big ideas and there's a gap between ideas and implementable policy, I guess. For example, universal basic income or UBI is a key idea you've evangelized and you should get all credit for that. Um, But your policy proposal in New York wasn't actually universal and didn't provide basic income, your plan would have only benefited 500,000 of the poorest New Yorkers. 
and giving them $2,000 a year on average, which is less than the median rent in New York on a single month. Talk a little bit about what happened here with UBI, which is sort of your, you know, sort of your branded policy. Well, at the national level, Kara, I think we're seeing that cash relief and basic income is the future and should be the present. A majority of Americans support it. The child tax credit has lifted millions out of poverty. It should be continued in perpetuity and should be enlarged and expanded to people who don't have kids. Uh, Now, if you're running for mayor of New York City, you have budgetary constraints that aren't uh, in place for the federal government. And I did not think it was going to be realistic, even though I think most people know I'd love to do this, to say I'm going to give every New Yorker $1,000 a month. (laughs) That that would have been uh, mathematically impossible. And so we committed a billion dollars to lifting the most indigent out of extreme poverty. And I wanted to do much, much more, uh, but I I didn't believe that the federal policy made sense at the local level. But do you think that was misleading voters by packaging these these incremental policies, which it was, as big ideas? I think a billion dollars towards poverty relief, even in a city the size of New York City, is a big idea. And I hope that it still happens. The fact is that We're seeing that cash in people's hands, even in relatively modest amounts, can make an enormous difference. And if you talk to people in those circumstances, you see why very clearly and quickly. So um, other proposals that were that I think got people's attention, but certainly were problematic, I suspect, um, attracting TikTok hype houses. You like that one. I I did not. I I would campaign. (laughs) Andrew, I would campaign on less TikTok hype houses, honestly. And I think people would elect me in immediately. Um, but putting a casino on Governor's Island, which is not legal, obviously. Um, but you got heat on social media also for the Bodega thing, the pro-Israel tweet after the Gaza airstrikes. You have a national audience and your opponents didn't. Do you think that hurt you? Because, you, you know, you're very free on social media. You like to put out all kinds of ideas. Is that a problem when you're running locally? It's certainly true that When you are running for a mayor of a city, the concerns are different, the policies are different, uh, the approach is different, and what you could actually do as mayor is very different. Uh, And I think that those two things did intersect in various ways on the campaign where I did have a national platform and following and some of the things that I believed made sense for New York City, you know, might have seemed very different in other parts of the country. Right. Do you do you think people perceive what you were doing as a lark at, at all at some points? I heard that from a lot of New Yorkers. Well, I think that anyone who observed us saw that we were very serious about uh, the work we were putting in, the policies we were putting forward. And I was willing to commit years of my life to doing the best job I could as mayor. That's not the sort of thing you do lightly. You know, it's like it, it was a massive commitment. And anyone who thinks that I'm not the sort of person who can deliver on that kind of commitment hasn't been paying attention over the last several years. I was completely anonymous and I made seven debate stages and mainstreamed uh, universal basic income. I think the reverse should be true, which is how is it that someone who no one had heard of several years ago was a top contender for uh, the mayoralty? But that is kind of normal. It's like, where did this guy come from, right? I don't think that's abnormal to think that. A lot of people do come up in a certain way and there is a system Um, especially on the local level, as people rise from one step to the next, you know, from a school board to this and that. And as someone who actually did consider running for mayor of San Francisco, I was like, I just won't break through because there's all these people 
you know, the waiting in line idea. Sarah, no. doesn't this answer your question? No. <laughs> you should have done no, it. No, I shouldn't have because I would you have look said, up and say, why, why didn't you? You could Andrew, have, I was unqualified. Been, I was unqualified. Is that really a reason not to do it, Kara? Like, I mean, the, the main thing is like, do you think you could have helped hundreds of thousands or millions of people live better lives? I mean, if, if that's uh, the case, which I'm going to suggest you would make a great mayor of just about any city, you know, I'd care Swisher for mayor. No, I feel you like know, I was co-side. completely, <laughs> Andrew, I was completely unqualified. And I think people worry that about you. I think that's the case when new people break into the scene. Well, Kara, one of the, the big things that I think is leading many people to fear is that we're, we're seeing folks kind of come up through established systems and the big problems just get worse. And a lot of people are getting increasingly upset and angry and aware of that. And so the, the question is, what is to be done? I mean, if you look at someone who's been within a system where they've ascended from school board to council person to, to blah, 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 I mean, like they're unlikely to really do anything that dramatic. And that is in some ways part of their appeal. Um, but that's one of the things that's going to keep us from getting big things done and there are more and more people around the country that aren't pumped about the way things are going in various environments. All right, let's move on to your new book, which is aptly titled Forward, Notes on the Future of Our Democracy. I should say I blurbed it because I liked it very much and I appreciated that you included solutions there. That's one of the things I like. I like hearing solutions for lots of things and more creativity in politics. Give us a quick summary of what you were trying to do in the book. As you say, the book is trying to point us towards real solutions. And the problem that we're faced with, regardless of where you are politically, is that at this point, we're descending into two camps that despise each other, uh, where 42% of people on both sides would characterize the other party as downright evil. And both our media and our social media environments are exacerbating the situation. And if you fast forward, where do you think that's going to go? Some scholars who measured it say that we're at pre-Civil War levels of political stress and they expect political violence to rise. So what are we going to do? Um, The single biggest thing we could do is to try and change the incentives of our leaders, because right now the incentives actually reward polarization, where if I send angry emails and I get ginned up and I characterize the other side as evil, I'm going to raise more money, I'm going to be more likely to win re-election, it doesn't reward reasonableness. Now, the, the big counterexample to this is Senator Lisa Murkowski in Alaska actually coming out and saying, you know what, I think we should impeach Trump. He's done enough harm. Uh, she did that earlier this year. That was a massive gamble on her part politically because she's a Republican and her approval rating among Republicans in Alaska now stands at 6%. And oh, by the way, she's up for a re-election in 2022. So this amounts to political suicide, and it's something that you never see politicians do. Now, why did Senator Murkowski decide to do this? It's in large part, I believe, though I haven't spoken with her about it, because Alaska just changed its process where she does not have to go through a Republican primary for re-election. They have open primaries and ranked choice voting starting in 2022, so that Senator Murkowski can take her case directly to all the people of Alaska, try and get 51% instead of having to placate the most extreme 20% of voters in her district. So if we can do what they've done in Alaska in more parts of the country, 
then overnight you would see our leaders become more reasonable, more even-handed, less ideological, and more willing to work with each other. But the idea is difficult to implement. Look, Murkowski took a big risk. It doesn't work around most of the country. It doesn't work in most of the country because they have not made this change. Right now, Congress has an overall approval rating of 28% or so. The re-election rate for individual members of Congress is about 92%. Now, why that mismatch? How is it that three quarters of us can be upset about Congress at any moment in time, but over nine out of 10 get re-elected? It's because of the nature of the closed party primary system, where if I'm a Democrat or Republican, in 83% of the seats around the country, it is a safe seat. I'm going to win if I get to the general. So if you can change that, then all of a sudden you have people like Liz Cheney who would have a much better chance of winning re-election. Okay. So along with the book's publication, you just announced you're forming a new third party. I have to tell you, many people were upset, I noticed, with this idea. Why do you want to do this? Part of the problem, really is that you have this duopoly and then there's this reflexive like, oh, if someone does something outside of this, then it's going to help the bad guys win. Uh, And the movement that I'm kicking off is around open primaries and ranked choice voting and reducing polarization, which I think that most anyone listening to this would be on board with. You can join this popular movement as a registered Democrat or an independent or a registered Republican. It's inclusive. That's sort of the point. The point is that we have to try and liberate our leaders from the tyranny of the most ideologically extreme uh, on either side. Well, it's very uh, heartening that you want to free Mitch McConnell, for example. Um, But this is the one question everyone asked me when I said I was interviewing you. Is this a real idea or just a gimmick to sell more copies of your book or just the Andrew Yang brand? And then if not, I'd like some more details of this part. Again, people have to to recognize that if you're going to commit years of your life to do something, you probably believe (laughs) that, that, that it's the right thing. I mean, certainly I believe that universal basic income is the future and should be the present. Uh, I devoted years of my life to trying to bring that message to Americans. And I'm happy to say that now a majority of Americans agree with that. And we're seeing the positive effects of it very, very quickly. And it's possible that just as some people, when I first started running for president, who said, give everyone money, that's preposterous, have come around to that. It's possible that when I say open primaries and ranked choice voting in every district around the country, some people react to that negatively. But I have a feeling that over time, they're going to see, wow, this really would solve a lot of problems, would improve incentives, would fix things. And anyone who's going to devote years of their life to something, you know, like who on earth would devote years of their life to something to try and sell a couple more books. I mean, that's that's super dumb. Okay. <laughs> but let me just paint you a picture of a dinner party I was just at in D.C. And when you announced this, I said, so what? That's great. We need more third parties. We, need, we should. Other countries have them. Um, I've never been more attacked than I was. It was as if, you know, I had lamb chops headed toward my head. Like, he can't do this. He's ruining it for the rest of us. We have to stick to the plan. We can't hurt Biden, et cetera, et cetera. Well, as the numbers guy, right now, 60% of Americans say that both parties are not really connected uh, with the needs of the people and want a third party, which is the highest in a long time. And so you have this very strange situation where we have a fixed duopoly and a majority of Americans want to change, 
But it turns out that change is structurally next to impossible because that is just the way it's been set up. And if I saw another path to open primaries and rank choice voting, like I would embrace it. I'll do anything that helps solve the problem. So maybe your vagueness is contributing to the cynicism. So let's fight this and give me some details. Does your party have a name yet? Yes, it is the Forward Party, which which people probably would have guessed in the book title and you knew yeah. that. But the Forward Party, uh, it's not left or right, it's forward. It's about solutions, fixing the process and the incentives, fact-based governance, uh, modernity, <laughs> and also not just solutions, but also a degree of optimism because so much of politics today is about getting us angry at generally someone And a lot of people are disengaging as a result, or they're becoming depressed. uh, Or more radicalized. So what are its central tenets? And I really want details here. Well, there are six core principles to the forward party. Number one is open primaries and ranked choice voting. This process change is the key to everything. So that's number one. Number two is modern and effective government. We're going to try and hold government speed to the fire to try and speed up and modernize. The third one, I think people will, at least some people will appreciate this. It's grace and tolerance. It's that we don't see anyone as our enemy. We don't see other Americans as our enemy, certainly. Our enemy is a system that's rewarding people uh, for pitting us against each other. So is that the Marianne Williamson policy? Uh, I love Marianne. Um, You know, I think she called it the politics of love. I call it, if I call it anything, it's just the politics of humanity. Okay, four? Number four is fact-based governance, which is the fact that you can have different policy goals that you're driving towards, whether it's small business formation uh, and marriage rates uh, or education or healthcare. But you just need to put up a scoreboard and say, okay, like this is where we're going to try and go. Um, The fifth will surprise absolutely nobody, which is universal basic income. And the sixth is a human-centered economy. We right now measure our economic success and progress based upon capital efficiency, stock market prices, GDP. And none of those things corresponds to our generally deteriorating way of life. Uh, And so if you have the wrong measurements on your dashboard, you're just going to end up spinning your wheels into a ditch more and more. Uh, And so we have to have the right measurements where you see that people's lives are shorter and more difficult, like all all of these basics that we've been getting wrong because we're just paying attention to economic measures that we came up with 80 years ago. Okay. So why not push for these things within the Democratic Party? You have a higher profile now. You have powerful friends. Why do you need a party? The big change we have to make is open primaries and ranked choice voting. And so the question is, how can you make that happen in both blue and red states as quickly as possible? Um, In 24 states, you have ballot initiatives. So if you get enough people in that state together, as happened in Alaska, you could potentially see this process happen. And so if you're going to operate in states of uh, every political alignment and you want to raise a movement of tens of millions of Americans to help flip this switch, then this is the path to do so. Okay, so who are you trying to recruit for this new party? Besides me, obviously, clearly you're doing that. Kara, if I got you, that would be a coup. A coup! (laughs) Kara Swisher, forward. You are very forward. No, I'm going to end up a hermit in the hills of uh, Hawaii someday. That's my whole plan. That's my political plan. But wh- who are you maybe, trying to... Maybe a lot of Ford party members have that ambition, Kara. <laughs> yes. Uh, who are you trying to recruit for this new party? I want some names. Liz Cheney, Marianne Williamson. I don't see them in the same party somehow. Uh, I 
I mean, I hope Marianne's super into this. Um, but I, I think that a lot of Democrats are going to hear this and be like, oh, wow, Yang is making sense. A lot of Republicans are going to hear this and say, oh, wow, like that would be good. Independence, independence, you should be ticked off that you can't vote most of the time in your in the primary. How many people have registered for a party just to be able to participate and, and aren't particularly pumped about that party? I mean, you know, someone told me that just yesterday. Uh, we have a very, very strange, deranged system, and it's making us deranged, Kara, and we need to free ourselves uh, and most Democrats and Republicans will agree with everything I'm saying. There's going to be a tiny band of partisans in each party that are not going to like what I'm saying. And so we need a popular movement to help bring those people to the table and say, look, this really is going to make your life better, too. So does this mean you'll be running as a third party candidate in the 2024 presidential election? I am dedicated to building this party into the healing liberating force in American politics. And I will do whatever I think is best to, to reach that goal. Is that a yes or, or I'm not sure what that is? Genuinely, right right now, I, I'm just trying to, uh, you know, uh, focus on the stuff in front of us. We have uh, hopefully ballot initiatives in 22, uh, you know, like that, that, that should be the first order of business. Okay. Do you think Trump is running again, by the way? It seems like he is running again. And what do you think about that? Uh, I think that People should take his run very, very seriously. I think that he'd start out as a front runner, and certainly in the Republican Party, he'll probably sweep the field. We'll be back in a minute. Intel is the spark for the dreamers who do. They dream of a life with no diseases, of cleaner, greener, more reliable energy, of advancing and expanding education by bringing AI everywhere. Intel is the spark to start something new, to know that no dream is too daring when you have the right foundation. It starts with Intel. Learn more at intel.com slash starts. Hey there, it's Ira Glass from This American Life. If you don't know our show, it's true stories that unfold like little movies for radio. Lots of them funny with surprising moments and plot twists. We've been on the radio for years. And we've teamed up with The New York Times to bring you new episodes of This American Life a full day and a half before you can find them anywhere else online. And the place you can do that is the New York Times audio app every Saturday morning. In the app, you also find the best of our archive, hundreds of episodes, Plus, This American Life shorts, which are handpicked stories when you're in the mood to hear something good, but you don't have time for a whole episode. And the New York Times audio app, can I say, is chock full of tons of other stories and podcasts curated every day for those moments that you want to listen to something and you don't know what you want to listen to. You can download it at nytimes.com slash audio app and subscribe to start listening. And if you're not already a New York Times subscriber, well, this is another reason to become one. Again, that's nytimes.com slash audio app. Okay. So third parties tend to get blamed as spoilers in elections because they detract from the two major parties. There's been a long line of third party proposals or third party candidates over the years. John Anderson, um, Ross Perot, Ralph Nader, et cetera, et cetera. So are you worried you'll be hated for this uh, if you make trouble in that regard? Well, but, but Kara, I do want to insert here, the thing that would remedy that is just ranked choice voting. You know, all of a sudden, and states have already done this, 
where if you have minor party candidates, and I'm going to say to anyone listening to this who's just you know sympathetic towards any political dynamism or minor party candidates, uh, rank choice voting would enable people to be able to vote for a minor party candidate first, and then you know Joe second. Uh, and if you had rank choice voting, Trump might not have won the Republican primary in 2016. And so if you change the process, you change the result in really profound ways. The entire spoiler thing is just intellectually lazy. Like, I, I want everyone to look at that for a second. Like, just being like, oh, he's going to mess it up for, like, you know, like the, the other party. Um, it's intellectually lazy. Just change the process uh, and let's make it so that we're not concerned about, frankly, like the greater of two evils all of the time. And, you know, I mean, I, I don't love the Democrats' chances no matter what I do. I mean, you know, like Joe's going to be like meandering at like the mid 40s range. He's going to be 81 years old. Like, you know, uh, like I think it's going to be a tough case. Kamala pulls five points worse than him. So that's a tough case. And then after that, like you have to go into a competitive primary. You can't just like appoint someone. So, <laughs> so, so like what's the damn plan? Like, you know, to me, it's like you'd like you'd have to. But, you know, it's not like I'm, I'm like, like a spoiler is going to screw up a sure thing. I mean, that's for sure. <laughs> yes, that's a fair point. That's a fair point, Andrew. So let me ask you, so you will be running then under this party, the forward party. You will be a candidate of the party. Kara, uh, I just said that we're, we're focused on something, you know, right in the here and now. And that there are so many things that would have to happen. So there could be a lot of candidates within that party, correct? In various places. <laughs> also, so this is where it gets interesting. Even the presumption that I would be the candidate might not be right. I mean, there could be a forward party primary um, with all sorts of uh, people throwing their hat in the ring. Right. So is is it possible then you're talking about the idea that you don't necessarily have to be elected, correct? Andrew Yang doesn't have to be the candidate. I think if people have kept up with me, like I, I'm, I'm not someone who grew up thinking like, oh, I need to, you know, uh, be president someday. Like I, I don't really care about that stuff. I just care about trying to make positive changes that are going to help people live better lives as quickly as possible. Um, Now, thanks to the Yang Gang and a lot of other people that supported me, I'm in a position where I might be able to make some really positive things happen, and I'm going to do my best. You must have fooled us with your run for president and mayor on that issue. You were running for office. You realize that. Oh, well, I was running for office, but, you know, like, I don't think anyone who came to me after my presidential would would have found me, like, heartbroken I wasn't president. I mean, I, I was pumped that we mainstream universal basic income, which was very much the goal. Okay. So uh, did you think about, you campaigned for President Biden. You were in talks with his administration about a few possible roles. Would you be happy working for an administration, which which is among the non-forward party? I mean, I'm going to do anything I can to help. But right now, I genuinely think the main thing I can do that's going to improve uh, our country's path and our destiny is to unlock us and our leaders from these polarized incentives that are turning us against each other and making it so that every other problem is unsolvable. Anyone who's ticked off right now that, you know, Joe Manchin's the most important person in D.C., you have to look up and say, like, why is this? It's because we have these two camps that can't get anything done. So uh, I think this is my my highest good, um, and and I'm I'm going to pursue it to the best of my ability. Would you work for Eric Adams if he wins? Uh, He's the Democratic candidate for New York City mayor. It's the same calculation, Karen. It's like, how many people am I going to help? How much good can I do? But I'm really, really excited about building the forward party. I think this movement's going to transform American politics for the better. All right. Next year is the midterms. The House and Senate are at stake here. Should we expect to see you out in the field that quickly or your party out in the field? 
We'll be endorsing candidates for sure uh, in, in this cycle. Right. Which would be Democratic and Republican, presumably, correct? A- anyone who's for open primaries, ranked choice voting, fact-based governance, universal basic income, human-centered economy, grace and tolerance, uh, and modern effective government, <laughs> please do apply for our endorsement and uh, we'll try and help you win. So are you going to take stances on other social issues? For example, like SBA, uh, there's so many other things. Will Ford take a stand here? We're focused on the reforms that are going to enable our country to actually solve our problems. Uh, you know, I, so not wade into the more controversial ones like that. No, um, I, I think if, if we can unlock our legislators, then uh, I, I think you'll see things improve on multiple dimensions. What has happened to the, the Yang Gang now? The Yang Gang is pumped, I believe, for this next step uh, because a, a lot of them see the same systemic problems uh, and want to help fix them. Are you leaving that name behind? Uh, you know, uh, we'll, we'll see if forward gang becomes a thing. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't have quite the same ring to it, but it is a little more broad. Um, when, during when you were running and one of your advisors for the mayoral race, Bradley Tusk, called you an empty vessel, which I, I think he meant it in a good way. How do you think about that? Do you take it as a compliment? Do you think we have to just completely empty ourselves and move to a new place? Or do you think that was saying that you don't have conviction? Again, I spent years of my life uh, mainstreaming a big idea in universal basic income. Uh, people know what I'm about. I'm going to spend years of my life mainstreaming open primaries and ranked choice voting as the key reform that's going to set us free. Uh, Bradley's a friend. Like we had a laugh about it later. <laughs> yeah. yeah, he tends to say things, doesn't he? Um, so you also wrote in this book a bit about the government's COVID stimulus payments, which are kind of a version of UBI. The Census Bureau analysis estimated the first two rounds of stimulus checks kept 11.7 million people from falling below the poverty line. Do you think the pandemic proved that this worked, or was it just an expensive bill for a crisis? I think the pandemic sped things up. But anyone looking at the effect of cash relief sees that it's working at a higher level than any other policy that's been enacted in terms of improving people's lives, uh, improving children's ability to learn. 400 economists just signed a letter saying we should keep it, including Nobel Prize winners, because the effects uh, are so clear. I wish it didn't take a pandemic for us to reach this kind of poverty relief effort, but certainly we should make it permanent and expand it from here. So COVID relief is coming to a close, unlike what you had proposed. Um, And it's kind of ripping a Band-Aid off moment for a lot of people. Some Democrats in Congress are trying to prolong stimulus checks and unemployment checks. But that's an uphill battle given the politics of D.C. What do you think should happen? And what would you have done if you were president? How do you keep this going? Because it's very unpopular to keep it going. The, the child tax credit is actually very popular. Uh, last number, I mean, I mean, among politicians. They should listen to voters. Um, if I were president, I would be having a party on the White House lawn and encourage every representative to do the same every time a child tax credit payment went out the 15th of each month, because this is the most direct and concrete thing that uh, about 70 million Americans are seeing from the government on a monthly basis. And if they saw that someone was trying to take the rug out from under them after providing it for this number of months, I think they'd be very animated around it. Uh, this should be a permanent policy, 100%. And what about the, the stimulus checks and unemployment checks? I'm a fan of the stimulus checks. I do think that tying 
money to not having a job uh, is not the right direction. I'd rather just give people the money and then if they get a job, then they can keep the money on top of it. You don't want to give anyone like a negative condition if you're going to attach relief, in my opinion. Right. But um, in the retail industry, the restaurant industry, jobs were dead end or unpleasant or unsafe for many people. Um, People don't want to go back to these jobs. And if they don't have to, they can't. Does this prove out the idea if people get money, they're not going to try to work? I mean, that's that's what the Republicans say. Uh, I don't think the data indicates that. And the fact is the employers in many of these cases uh, should be doing more to get workers back in terms of paying more and having better conditions. Yeah, yeah. So there's polarization and endless tussle in D.C. And we're seeing the Democratic Party under pressure uh, of progressives and blocked by centrists like Manchin or Cinema. Um, where do you see this going with the Democratic Party? We are on like the edge of a like a knife in terms of the Democratic majority. And I'm not sure many people listening to this realize just what the landscape is. Where if 15,000 more Georgians had voted for David Perdue, he avoids a runoff and Mitch McConnell still the Senate majority leader. I mean, think about that, 15,000 people. If 40,000 voters had voted differently, even in the presidential, uh, then that might have gone another direction. So you have the barest majority one can imagine. And the Democratic Party right now is such a big tent party that there are people that have very different points of view on a lot of things. I dearly hope that they do pass very substantial legislation while I have this window. Uh, I think that the Biden administration is relying on it. And this window is not going to remain open forever. They really should be taking advantage of this time. But they aren't. It is what it is, right? This doesn't seem to be moving at all the end of the filibuster or anything else that would cause this to happen. Say you're President Yang, what would you do right now? Besides having Joe Manchin over for a steak, I don't know what. Well, you have to try to bring people around the things that they can agree on. So I think the infrastructure bill was a nice first step. But this is one of the problems, again, that I'm now trying to address is that bipartisanship is such a rarity or or unicorn at this point um, in part because the incentives lead us that direction. The, the fact is, if you do compromise with the other side, you're more likely to get painted as ideologically impure. And so if we change the mechanics in the process, then you'd actually see more laws pass. Okay, Andrew, this has been great. I really appreciate it. Um, as usual, fascinating. Thanks, Kara. Great spending time with you as always. And I hope, hope your voice recovers, uh, you know, very quickly. Oh, it will. Sway is a production of New York Times Opinion. It's produced by Naima Raza, Blake Nishik, Matt Kwong, Daphne Chen, and Caitlin O'Keefe. Edited by Naima Raza, with original music by Isaac Jones, mixing by Sonia Herrero and Carol Sabaro, fact-checking by Kate Sinclair, and Andrea lopez Cruzado. Special thanks to Shannon Busta, Kristen Lin, and Lyra Liga. If you're in a podcast app already, you know how to get your podcasts, so follow this one. If you're listening on the Times website and want to get each new episode of Sway delivered to you with a newly liberated Mitch McConnell, download any podcast app, then search for Sway and follow the show. We release every Monday and Thursday. Thanks for listening.